Welcome into the Post Bulletin Sports Podcast, and we're going to talk some football today, but it's 9-11, and whenever this day comes, it's time to look back and to remember what happened, and full disclosure, I was four years old when this when 9-11 happened. Jason Feldman, our sports editor, is here. He was not four years old when this happened, but when you look back at this day, I just, you know, I'm always going back and, and watching the videos, and, you know, I read a story this morning about the falling man you know, coming who were jumped out of the building and you read the amount of lives that were lost and it's just it's so disheartening. And nineteen years later you just you just never forget. Do you what was those emotions like of that day as you lived you lived it. I, I was alive but I I didn't live it. I remember nothing about it. Yeah, you know, I think everybody it's one of those things where that was sort of the first kind of, you know, you remember where you were moment of my life. Um, you know, there was a space shuttle challenger back in the eighties. I was still young back then, um, you know, don't remember a ton about it other than it happening. Um, but the 9-11 was one of those times where, you know, it was 19 years ago, but I could still remember just about every detail of the day. Um, I was a, a young sports reporter. I was probably about your age. I was like mid-20s, you know, just starting out. Um, I worked in a town called Minot out in uh, western North Dakota. Um, I, I wasn't even a week into the job yet. I think I was six days in. Um, I woke up that morning. Turned on ESPN and there was no sports center. It was national news coverage. You know, it was the, the national news anchors sitting there talking, and I kept flipping through the channels, just wanting to find some sports scores and highlights. Um, and then I started realizing what was happening. And, uh, you know, my initial reaction here I'm a single guy just sitting at home. It's like, well, what the heck do I do now? Um, you know, I grew up in a town in North Dakota in Grand Forks where there was an Air Force base 10 miles away, and then the town I was living at. And at the time, Minot, there was a, a, an Air Force base 10 miles away from there, too. Um, so you start to wonder, you know, not knowing exactly what was happening, if there were more plans, more planes, more attacks. Um, so I went into the office, and I just remember sitting around the televisions in our newsroom there with the other reporters and editors uh, trying to, you know, uh, just comprehend what was happening in New York and in Washington, D.C., um, and at the same time trying to figure out how are we – best going to report this, not only from a national level, but a local level too. And, um, you know, like I said, a lot of times we won't start our day until mid-afternoon if we're working late. Um, but I was in the office, you know, early that morning and, and stuck around until the paper went to press at 1130 that night. And, um, you know, I think you and I talked about this a little bit before we started recording here, but you know, you, you think back to the riots in Minneapolis a few months ago, and it just it seems like in, in times like that, um, journalists are maybe at their most calm or, uh, you know, it's just part of the job that a lot of people live for, frankly. And so, you know, you get through the initial shock and the sadness of what's happening, and then you think, all right, well, we have to do our jobs and report on this, so what are we going to do? And that's kind of the way it was that day, and, and that's what I remember most about it. You know, I know a lot of people have other memories of where they were and what was happening, but um, you know, I think it was it was pretty much the same throughout the country. Just a lot of disbelief and a lot of questions, wondering what was happening and, and who was responsible for it. You know, I I don't want to mince words here, but 2020 has been one of the roughest years in a long time, and this hasn't been fun. And I think that uh, maybe our country is maybe more divided than it's ever been, and it's sad. And I look back at that and I read the stories and I just, I see unity, you know, after something like that happens. And I, I hope that we can get back to something like that because, 
you know, this, this year has been really hard and I feel like there's opinions left and right on, you know, on everything, right? On the coronavirus, on whether football should be played or not. I mean, you can get, you can get into some heated arguments. I try to avoid Facebook just because it feels like that's, that's all it is right now. And it's sad. It's just sad. And I wonder, can we get back to some sort of unity? Like that was after that, after that attack, there was unity that day and we all came together. Oh, a lot. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, we, you know, I, I just talked a lot about the day itself, but you, know, you think about the weeks following that, um, stores were running out of American flags. Um, you know, uh, travel changed a little bit. Um, but I remember, so I had a friend growing up who, um, was a big fan of the Baltimore Orioles and Cal Ripken Jr. And that happened to be the end of Cal Ripken Jr.'s final season of playing baseball. So we had planned a trip out to the East Coast to watch his last games in Baltimore. Um, and we ended up still going. Uh, you know, we were all a little bit concerned about flying. But I remember getting on our flight that day. I think we were flying Southwest Airlines. And the pilot came on and basically said, you know, thank you all for flying. If anything happens like what happened a week ago, we're all going to band together and take care of it. We're not going to let that happen again. You know, we all kind of laughed because you don't expect to hear that. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, that, that was sort of the attitude. And, uh, you know, that was, that was prevalent throughout the whole country. Um, it was, you know, I'm, I'm 45 years old and I don't ever remember a time where there was more patriotism and more, you know, unity. Like you said, people just coming together and sort of, um, you know, having that tragic event to rally around and, you know, I don't think either one of us is suggesting that we want something like that to happen again. But at the same time, you would like the outcome of, you know, the current day's events to, to be the same and, and for people to, you know, um, just become that, that sort of unified country again. I felt like um, when George W. Bush went out and threw that first pitch, that was a really huge moment, a pivotal moment, too, to maybe to show, hey, we're back. And, and, and sports, I think, can play a huge part of that. And... You know, I thought I thought yesterday. You know, I didn't get to watch the beginning of it, but I come back home to to from a uh, from a soccer game yesterday. I watched Mayo and Austin play soccer yesterday, but I come back home and I was able to watch a NFL game for the first time. And and the 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 Chiefs are you know doing their thing, and the the offense looks great against the Texans. And for a minute, it was like, okay, maybe we aren't living through a pandemic. Maybe this is back to normal again. Like, it, I feel like sports back in two thousand one really signified, hey, we can move on and we can come back together and we can get back to life as we have it. And that's kind of what sports is like now in 2020 as we prepare for, you know, a full week one slate of football. That's what that's maybe what I'm so hopeful about, like getting back to some semblance of normal. We haven't had a Sunday like this and it feels like a you know a thousand years and I, and I can't wait. Yeah, I think when these tragic events happen, um, you know, like we said, you go through that initial shock and the sadness and then sports as you said, sort of brings back a sense of normalcy, but it also diverts your mind and lets you, you know, smile and have fun or cheer or be mad or whatever you want at your team. Um, and so I think this, this Sunday coming up here in two days is going to be a big one for sports fans everywhere. Um, you know, it's the first day where we can sit down on our couches and watch football from noon until 10 o'clock at night if we want to. And, you know, it's going to look different. Um, it's going to look really different at U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday, um, but it's still football, right? And so uh, it's something to look forward to. Um, 
you know, having some high school sports back has been nice, but there's just something about being able to sit down on a Saturday and watch college football or a Sunday and watch the NFL all day. And so I think you and I and so many other people sort of share that feeling that um, it, it seems strange because it hasn't felt like a normal buildup to a Vikings Packers game this week. Uh, but at the same time, it's going to be great come Sunday to, to have football back in yeah. whatever form it is. Yeah. Sunday at one or noon, really at noon at noon's our time, but one Eastern time, and it will kick off. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. And just kind of the roundup of what we're going to look at. We're going to kind of go through the preview of this game and, and prepare for what's going to happen. We're going to do a, a segment called Five Guys I'm Scared Of on the Packers and, and kind of break through, uh, break down a few guys that we're not really excited to see on Sunday and, and maybe they could hurt the Vikings a little bit. We'll look at some matchups to watch, who's hot and who's cold. It's not really, um, we can't really base this off the season, but we have a little bit of stuff that's going on. And then we're going to go picks against the spread, kind of go through all of our games. We'll, we'll track them down at the end of the season and see what we're going to do. We're going to try to do this weekly now we are going to have a little bit of a hiatus through the middle of the season because we got big news i'm getting married in two weeks you're getting married in three weeks so we'll have to take a little pause yeah not to each other (laughs) we'll have to take a little pause in between but for the most part we're going to try to keep up to this uh, keep up to date to this as much as we possibly can great yeah um this should be fun, and uh, you know I'm fortunate enough to get to be part of Vikings coverage this year with the Forum News Service team, and, and Rob Jeffries, who is our reporter based out of St. Paul, he uh, has offered to join us here on the podcast sometimes too. Um, he's covered the Vikings for a number of years. Guy Limbeck also, um, as we know, is a huge Vikings fan. He uh, He's like a walking encyclopedia of sports, that guy, it seems like, especially when it comes to the Vikings and the Twins. So he might start just rattling off stats from 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, just off the top of his head, and I guarantee you, uh, anytime you hear him do that, if you check them, they are correct. Uh, but yeah, it should be a, a fun season. Um, you know, the NFC North is really up for grabs, so uh, it'll be kind of interesting to see how all these teams in this division and throughout the NFL integrate their rookies and get them up to speed, and um, you know, who can jump right into it and, and get off to a good start without having a normal offseason and a normal preseason. Yeah, that's the thing. I feel like it's going to be rusty. It's not going to look pretty in week one. I think it's going to be a lot of rust, but I think that's also where I think we'll see continuity really matters for some places. And that's why I'm confident about this Vikings defense. I think this Viking defense will be okay because you have a lot of continuity, especially at linebacker, especially at safety. You kind of know what you're getting from most of your defensive linemen. I know there's some new faces in there, but they're talented and you know what you're going to get out of them. So I feel like the continuity too with Adam Thielen and Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook is so huge. And that's where I think the Vikings could get off to a little bit more of an easier start than some of these other teams that are, you know, I look at the Bucks and I go, everyone's talking about, oh, Tom Brady's going to walk right in. Everything's going to be fine. I'm like, these guys haven't played a snap together. They have no preseason games together. They've had 14 padded practices together. I just, I don't see how these teams with all of these newbies are going to mesh. I'm not as concerned about the Vikings heading into week one because I feel like they know who they are. They know what they're going to do. Will they have to execute? Will they execute every time? No. But I think they have a chance really now to put things together and put and start stringing some good stretches of play together early in the season. Yeah, I think continuity will be kind of a, a theme of the day today um, when we talk about both the Vikings and the Packers. Um, you know, so many teams are having to get rookies kind of thrown right into the fire here uh, the first few weeks, and the Vikings are certainly one of them on the def- especially on the defensive side of the ball and the secondary. Uh, but the Packers really aren't as much. You know, they're not going to have to rely 
on a lot of their rookies. Um, you know, we'll talk later about the, some of the decisions they made in their draft, but um, you, you know, their top three draft picks were a quarterback, a running back, and a tight end, all positions where they have uh, solid, if not spectacular players right now. So, you know, that could be a benefit and advantage for them, at least here at the start of the season, um, you know, to have a bunch of veterans and not have to rely so much on new guys who are having to think on every play about what their assignment is, where they're supposed to be, who they're supposed to be covering. So, um, you know, it'll be real interesting to see how this matchup plays out on Sunday. Okay, let's get into it. Uh, I think that the Packers are going to head into this pretty healthy for the most part. They have their entire cast of crew is pretty much lined up and ready to rock and roll. Let's go into five guys I'm scared of on the opposing team. And I think we all know who number one is on this list, but I'll go an underrated one. I'll just give you one off the top of my head. I, I'm, I'm, re- I'm really nervous about what the, the, the Vikings offensive line is going to be like. I think there's some major holes and having to go up against Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith in week one is not a good um, welcome to the show. But a guy I'm even more scared of is Kenny Clark on the interior. And his ability to just be a disruptive factor and just be an absolute pain and wreck everything on the interior is a huge thing. And, you know, you kind of look at the analytics and we can all talk about sacks and pressures from some of these outside linebackers or pass rushers on the defensive end. That 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 matters. That's scary. But when you have a dominant nose tackle that can really mess things up on the interior, that's even more dangerous because it just it wrecks everything. And so Kenny Clark is a guy I'm really nervous about. I don't know how these guards are going to do for the Vikings. I don't like I don't like the direction that they're headed and Kenny Clark could make them look really dumb right from the very beginning. Yeah, I'm not sure there's anybody right now who has a whole lot of faith in the Vikings interior offensive line. Um you know, I don't. Maybe they counter that with uh, with keeping CJ Ham in a lot, or with a tight end, or something. But um, you're right about Clark. He's a nightmare matchup on his own. But then you mentioned the two Smiths too, and um, you know, I'll jump right to both of those guys. I had both Zedarius and Preston Smith in my top five when it comes to the players who scare me on that team. Um, you watch Zedarius Smith; it kind of makes you, as a Vikings fan, long for the days of Ted Thompson as the Packers GM because he was so anti free agency that he wanted to build through the draft and um you know but they went out and got smith a couple years ago or last year was it um and and he's just uh he's a he's a beast i mean he's a he's a handful on his own and you throw in a couple of those other guys up front um it's just it's a a kind of a a matchup nightmare almost for those three guys in the middle of the vikings offensive line and you're talking about bradbury and then dozier and Alfline at the guard spots that's that's hands down my biggest concern. I think another guy I'm scared about is Devontae Adams, just because of the continuity factor. Rodgers and Adams are tied at the hip. They know exactly what they're doing every time they step on the field together. And you're going up against a younger secondary. It's new. Welcome to the NFL, Jeff Gladney, because Devontae Adams will sometimes run routes from the slot. And, and Jeff Gladney, the, the second round or the first round pick out of TCU, is going to have to, t- is going to be tested and he's going to be right there. And I don't, I think Aaron Rodgers knows that he is going to go after him. And then the other thing that I'm scared of is can this Vikings pass rush get there? Because if they are able to get after Aaron Rodgers, that's the difference in the game. And I, I love the addition of Yannick Ngakwe, and he's going to be a huge factor. But you don't have Daniel Hunter. Like, that's a huge that's a huge miss. And if you don't have him – now, I, I do think we both like Ifadi Odenabo. Am I saying his name right? Is that how you pronounce his yeah, name? Right. Yeah, right. I, I know his little brother pretty well. He played at Illinois. I covered him pretty yeah. well. And, and so – 
like he's a talented player. Odenabo can absolutely step in and do his job. But if they can't get after the passer, that that's the difference in the game for me. I think that's that's where the game is won or lost for the for the Vikings. Yeah, and so the the pressure there in my mind is on George Edwards and Adam Zimmer's defensive coordinators to figure out exactly how can they do that. You know, Denebo, if he can't get to the pass, or if he can't get to the quarterback, excuse me, on his own, how much pressure do they bring with their linebackers or with a defensive back walked up to the line of scrimmage? And if you do that, if you have to start bringing Kendricks or Barr or Harrison Smith on too many plays, well, all of a sudden those young corners are on an island against Devontae Adams and, uh, you know, maybe tight ends. Uh, the Packers are going to get some mismatches there um, if the Vikings cannot get to the quarterback. So it'll be real interesting to see how the Vikings play it right off the bat if they just go, you know, straight up with four pass rushers and let those guys try to get to the quarterback first before they start bringing pressure, or if they come right away with blitzes. I think that's, uh, you know, watch the first quarter, watch the Packers' first two possessions and see what the Vikings' calls are on defense. If they if they try to bring, yeah. bring those guys, if they try to disguise some things um, and, and drop guys back into coverage, uh, but that's that. You're right. I think that is the key to the game on Sunday is the ability to get to Rodgers and to do it with as few guys as possible. You know, I went back and watched uh, as much as I could of both of the Green Bay games from last year, and I didn't think the Vikings' defense was the problem. They did a pretty darn good job in both games. They held the Packers to 23 points in Week 16. They held them to 21 points in Week Two. But offensively, it was just a nightmare, and I thought the Packers really schemed the Vikings up really well on on play action, and they were all over them on play action. But then you watch the Packers play all the other times, and that zone running scheme just diced them up. I mean, San Francisco just diced them up. So I look at this rush game and go, man, if the offensive line doesn't have any too many issues, there's there's yards to be had there for Dalvin Cook. You could we could envision a really big day for him. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, to go back to your previous point, you're right. That was. Um you know, that was a huge difference last year. The defense did play well in those two games against the Packers, but uh, the Vikings' bread and butter last year was the play action or the design rollouts. And when Cousins was able to get those and he was able to have time, he was really good. Uh, but when the pocket breaks down, he has to scramble and try to improvise. Um, you know, he's not Aaron Rodgers. He's definitely not Brett Favre. Uh, you know, that's where he struggles, not not only not making plays, but just holding onto the football and not making bad plays. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Uh, if the Vikings can get that, that zone run game going early, um, whether it's with Cook, Madison, or both, and you know, make the Packers respect that, they'll have to do that early on in the game, make, make the Packers respect that running game. Uh, you know, Maybe that'll open up some time for Cousins to actually make plays and open up time for some young receivers, too, to work their way open. So uh, we talked about some guys we're scared about. I mean, we both listed Kenny Clark as a big one. Preston Smith is a big one. Obviously, Zadarius Smith is a big one. Any other – Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers were my other two, right, to make that five. That that makes sense. Is there any other underrated guy you're scared of? I Personally, I think Darnell Savage, the, the safety for the Packers, is really stinking good. Like, that was a steal for them out of Maryland. I think he's going to be really good for them. But I feel like those five are – those are the big names. Those are the ones that the Vikings really will have to, to limit their, their effectiveness on Sunday. Yeah, I'd throw Aaron Jones in the mix, too, because it's, it's the first time in a long time that the Packers have really had a legit running game. I mean, the guy scored 16 touchdowns last year. I know he only rushed for a little over 1,000 yards, but he was sharing the ball, too. Uh, but you look at some of the backs that they've gone through in the last 8 to 10 years, you know, they've, they've had guys like Eddie Lacy, James Starks, Ty Montgomery, for crying out loud, was their leading rusher one year. Um, so to have 
a guy like Jones back there, he's quick, he's elusive, he can run with power. Um, you know, to have a guy like him back there and have that solid running game. And then you had A.J. Dillon, the rookie, into the mix, too. Um, you know, that's something that Aaron Rodgers hasn't had a lot during his time in Green Bay. And it just makes that offense even scarier, uh, especially for a defense with a lot of young guys on it. A.J. Dillon has legs bigger than my face. And I have a pretty big head. And he has, uh, he has huge legs. He is a brick. Yeah, and he has some speed, too, for a guy that size. He does. Yeah, I'm interested to see how this Vikings defense shuts them down. Because, I mean... Green Bay was not very good offensively last year. They were very one-dimensional. They had just a couple guys that they could count on. Aaron Rodgers was not that great last year, and that's kind of scary because maybe the addition of Jordan Love gets Aaron Rodgers a little feisty, and feisty Aaron Rodgers isn't a guy that anybody wants to play. All right, let's go to this. Um, matchups to watch. I think we talked, touched a little bit on it, but I, I want to go more to the positive end on this side. Where do you think the Vikings have some advantages, that they can take advantage of some advantageous situations against the Packers? Sure. Um, well, we already talked about the running game a little bit, right? Um, it, so I have this listed on my list here as a matchup to watch. It's kind of an unknown versus unknown, and that's the Packers receiving core against the Vikings defensive backs. Um, you know, we have Devontae, or Green Bay, excuse me, has Devontae Adams, right? I mean, so that's a guy that, like you said, they're going to move him around, and it's not going to be Mike Hughes matched up against him all the time. It's going to have to be Hughes, it's going to have to be Holton Hill, it's going to have be Gladney and maybe Cam Dantzler. I would really like to see how Cam Dantzler can match up against uh, a, a top-end receiver like Adams. Or maybe I wouldn't like to see it. I don't know. Um, but, you know, Dantzler's a guy that has a lot of confidence and a lot of skill. And you look at what he did against, you know, in the best college football conference in the country last year, the way he shut SEC receivers down. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that translates to the NFL. Um, but the Packers, too, beyond Adams, you know, there's not a lot of guys there that – will really strike fear into opposing defenses. So how do those receivers beyond Adams, uh, you know, guys like Valdez, Scantling, Elm, Lazar, you know, they signed Devin Funches as a free agent in the offseason. He opted out uh, due to the coronavirus. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see what the Vikings defensive backs can do, not only against Adams, but against that receiving court. And then you throw the Packers tight ends on top of that, um, I think that's that's a, a, a real fun matchup to watch. I don't know how crucial it'll be to the game, but I think that's a, a real fun one to keep an eye on. Yeah, I mean, I look at the Packers' uh, tight end group right now. Mercedes Lewis, he's more of a blocker. Robert Tunyon's kind of gotten some of the vibes throughout the – as a big fantasy guy, he's kind of been an underrated one. If you want a tight end super late that could be in the mix, he should be fine. But I, I don't – I want nothing to do with the Packers' tight ends. If, I, if I'm a fantasy guy in week one because Eric Kendricks shuts everything down, like there's just – there's not going to be anything there. I think that the Vikings have a clear advantage there. That That's the thing when you look at the Packers. You go, okay, if you're able to stifle the run game a little bit, you really only have Devontae Adams to worry about in the passing game because Lazard has made some plays down the field and he's had a couple big ones, but I think you trust him, right? He's not going to blow past you. You trust that your DBs are going to be able to do what it needs to do. Valdez Scantling, that's been a guy that everybody's been like, oh, watch out for him, and he's not done anything with his career. So that, that's the thing that I, I think the Vikings have a real advantage there, and you can make the Packers one-dimensional if you can. And if that happens and this defensive line is able to wreak havoc, there's no reason why the Vikings can't win this ballgame. And, and we should mention, too, you know, we, we've dwelled so much here already on how young and inexperienced the Vikings are at corner. And I would I would throw in there, too, that with Hughes's injury history and Holton Hill's history of getting sus suspended for 
violating uh, the substance policy. I would maybe say that those two starters aren't necessarily reliable either for a full season. But at the same time, we haven't mentioned the fact that the Vikings have maybe the best one-two safety combination in the league um, and Harrison Smith and Ant Harris. So those guys can cover up a lot of things that maybe the corners don't do so well yet. Um, so that that's another uh, you know wrinkle in that matchup, the receivers versus defensive backs. We shouldn't just you know uh, talk about receivers versus corners. It should be the Packers receivers against the Vikings secondary, and, and Harrison Smith and Ant Harris are as good as they get back there. Well, and Devontae Adams torched Xavier Rhodes last year multiple times. I mean, week two. A lot two, of people torched Xavier Rhodes last year. <laughs> well, that's my point, too. I mean, week two, he went for seven yeah. for 106. And then in week 16, 13 catches for 116 yards. Part of me looks at that and goes, okay, Xavier Rhodes is gone now. Maybe there's an upgrade here. Maybe there's an upgrade of talent. And, you know, throughout training camp, Dantzler was making all of the big names. Like, he had made huge plays after huge plays. His length, his competitiveness, his feistiness is, is exactly what you want out of a corner. And if you're able to, if these young guys step up, there's a world where the Vikings are much improved in their secondary this year compared to what it was last year. So I wonder too, uh, with how much the Packers like to throw the ball around or how much Aaron Rodgers likes to throw, throw the ball around and Rodgers is going to have free reign to audible at the line of scrimmage. He always does, but without crowd noise, it's going to be even more. That's something that was taken away from him a lot in past games at the Metrodome and then going into U.S. Bank Stadium as well, that ability to audible. He's going to be able to do that this week. Uh, so with that in mind and, and the thought that maybe they will throw the ball you know, as much as they always have or, or more, how, how often you know, do you think we could see both um, Gladney and Dantzler on the field? You know, how often will they maybe go to a dime back and play six guys in the defensive backfield? Yeah, I know. I think that's absolutely going to be the case. I mean, if you look at it, I I wouldn't be shocked at all if, if their main if their main defensive orientation or or kind of skill set that they line up is nickel. That's what we saw the most of in, in training camp. Like I don't I don't see a scenario where Eric Wilson's out there as a third linebacker all the time. I think Gladney might be listed as a second string corner, but he's going to be a starter. Right. There's not going to be a lot of base defense, I don't think, against the Packers this no, week. Not at all. Okay, a couple other things, a couple other matchups that I'm interested in. Uh, Ngakwe, his debut going up against David Bakhtiari, that's always going to be a fun matchup. And I think uh, we know what Ngakwe can do when he's healthy and when he's right. He's one of the best pass rushers in the, in the NFL. And I think that he's going to be highly motivated to come. And when you go into a new team, just like when you start a new job, you really want to get off to a great start and impress everybody around you. I think Ngakwe could have a nice debut if he's able to. I think if they move him around a little bit too, maybe they're able to shift him over to opposite sides and get him matched up against Billy Turner, who's not been very good throughout his time. That that would be advantageous. You're right, if he plays. If Turner's able to play, yeah. Um, but yeah, you mentioned that moving Ngakwe around, and I think that's – that's important, too, because you wonder just how much, what are the Vikings going to ask him to do this week? Are they, are they just going to say, you know, go out there and pin your ears back and try to get after Rodgers and bring him down? Or, you know, how much is he actually, you know, how, how comfortable is he in their, their defensive schemes and their sets yet? Um, and will the Packers try to take advantage of that by running at him? So I think you hit the nail on the head there by moving him around, not keeping him matched up against Bacteria all game. Um, and allowing the Packers to know that, hey, here's this guy who's just coming after the quarterback all game long. Let's, uh, you know, maybe run some draws or delays and, and run right at him yeah. um, in a place where maybe there's a hole with our, our all-pro left tackle. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's going to be a fascinating matchup, just just one that's really fun to watch. And, and I wish that Daniel Hunter was healthy for so many reasons, but mostly because I would like to see, you know, what influence his presence would have 
on Ngakwe's play. And we'll see that down the road, but uh, it, it would be particularly interesting here right off the bat, the season opener. And also, if that happens, then you could potentially move Odenabo inside again, and you have your yes. three outstanding exactly. pass rushers there, and you have Hunter, Odenabo, and Ngakwe on the field all at the same time. That's where you could get to be real fun with some matchups. Well, now Odenabo's going to get what he wanted. You know, he, he was upset when they made the trade for Ngakwe, and, you know, that's understandable. You, you hope the guy's a little upset, right? I mean, he'd spent the whole offseason preparing to be a starter and a full-time player, which he, he hasn't been a full-time defensive end in the NFL. So how does he handle that transition? How does he acclimate to playing every snap? And, uh, you know, without preseason games, without a structured offseason program at the facilities, what's the conditioning like? Is he going to be as effective in the fourth quarter as he would be otherwise? Um, you know that if if this game is close, coming down to the last fifteen minutes, and you know the, the tradition of Vikings against Packers would tell us that it probably will be. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how big of a factor conditioning is, not only for those defensive ends, but for guys on both sides of the ball. Yeah. One last matchup that I'm really interested in is Oren Burks is going to start at inside linebacker for the Packers. He was not supposed to start. It was actually supposed to be Kamal Martin, the former Minnesota linebacker who had a great camp, but Martin got hurt. And so Burks is going to come in. I'm interested. Burks is going to come in. I'm interested to see if there's going to be some matchups where Burks is matched up against Irv Smith Jr. in the passing game. If they can take advantage of him, or if they can take advantage of his aggressiveness in the run game and and do some things with that. Like I think I think Burks is a guy that Cousins could pick on a little bit in pass coverage, and you can also mess with him a little bit in the run game because he's just not that impressive and hasn't been. And he was he's a backup for a reason. Yeah, and we know Kirk Cousins. Loves his tight ends, you know Rudolph and, and Irv Smith Jr. are his his safety blankets, his security blankets. Um, so you know we talked before about potentially needing both of those guys on the field to help uh, the offensive lineman protect against the Packers' pass rush. Well, that that keeps two tight ends on the field to match up against those Packers linebackers in some instances too. So yeah, you, you might be right on there. I mean, you know this is the second year for Irv Smith. He had a really good rookie season. Um, Kyle Rudolph had a nice season last year too, despite what some fans think. Um, but to have both those guys on the field at the same time uh, matched up against those Packers inside linebackers, that could be a, a big win for the Vikings. Mm-hmm. All right, let's I have one more matchup to watch before we move on. What you to, got? I got Kirk Cousins against the football. Um, <laughs> we, t- we talked earlier about his inability to, to improvise, and you know, he, he was asked uh, earlier this week or last week. Um, you know, what he needs to do better this year, how, how he's going to improve. You know, let's face it, Cousins is what he is at this point in his NFL career, right? He's not going to, you're not going to turn him into Aaron Rodgers. You're not going to turn him into Lamar Jackson. Um, he, he's what he is. But the decision-making when a play breaks down needs to be better. He can't throw the bad interceptions. He can't be so loosey-goosey with the football. He lost 10 fumbles last year. Uh, his first year with the Vikings two years ago, he threw three pick sixes. Um, so, as, as much as we think Aaron Rodgers is going to be a key to, to um, the game this weekend, you know, Kirk Cousins and his ability to you know, stay calm and poised and, and just make a safe decision when a play breaks down is going to be equally as key. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who's hot or who's cold? Let's move that to next week because we don't really know who's hot, who's cold uh, yet yeah. without a game. But I, I had a couple questions for you. Uh, I'm interested in this whole BC Johnson, Justin Jefferson thing. Uh, we all know that depth charts lie, and there's no such thing as a right depth chart right from the beginning. Whatever a team is showing you might not be the case. But at training camp, BC Johnson was 
taking the more of the reps with the ones. Justin Jefferson was running with the twos. There's some times where Justin Jefferson had some interesting combinations, hooks up, hooks up with uh, Kirk Cousins for a couple nice plays in training camp. So it wasn't like he wasn't getting any run. But do you think that BC Johnson continues to get more snaps than Justin Jefferson, or is this all a little bluff? Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's a bluff. I think it's just the natural course that rookie receivers have to run. Um, the Vikings have not had a lot of luck with first-round draft picks at receiver, and that doesn't mean that Justin Jefferson isn't going to be good. But I think, you know, with the way that, that B.C. Johnson stepped in last year and became that really solid third option, reliable, dependable, he was going to catch it if it was thrown his way, um, he's earned the trust of the coaching staff. And I think that goes a long way, especially in a season like this where, you know, you've got young guys behind them who – just don't have a lot of NFL experience. It's not just Jefferson. It's the rest of the Vikings receiving core. There's not a lot of guys there with game experience and, and BC has that. And I think until, you know, Jefferson goes out and proves that he's going to be that reliable, dependable playmaker, um, you know, BC's going to be the number two guy, but you know, we talked earlier about the Vikings using two tight ends. That's a lot. Well, that takes a third receiver off the field a lot of the time. So, um, you know, if the offensive line can hold up, maybe that gives Jefferson some more chances. And if, if he's not on the field a lot, then he's going to have to take advantage of every opportunity that, that the ball is thrown his way. He's going to have to catch it, and he's going to have to make plays. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think that number two spot isn't necessarily BC's to keep, but it's his to keep until Jefferson proves that he can take it over. Is it weird that I think the Vikings' second best receiver right now is is Irv Smith Jr.? <laughs> like I think that could be their best, second best option right now. <laughs> I don't I don't think that's weird at all. You know, we we just mentioned that Cousins loves his tight ends. He always has. He's loved Kyle Rudolph. He's he, he loved Irv Smith last year too. So yeah, I, I don't think that's. I, you know, I think you're you're maybe spot on there in the fact that uh, one of those two guys could be the number two receiver at least for the first part of the season. All right, let's go to our picks. This is where it gets fun. Um, we'll start with the big one in the Vikings and the Packers. And I got to be honest, like the line right now is Vikings minus two and a half. How does that have impact with no home field advantage? Like, I feel like uh, the Vikings had one of the best home field advantages in all of the NFL the last few years, and now he's gone. But yesterday on the podcast with Guy, I predicted that the Vikings would win 23 to 20, and I'm going to stick with it. So I, I'm saying the Vikings cover minus two and a half against the Packers. Yeah, to me, the the spread is right about where it should be with these teams. Um, you know, I think is it three of the last four and five of the last ten have been decided between the Vikings and Packers have been decided by one score. Um, you know, including the game last year at Green Bay. Uh, but that said, um, you know, we mentioned earlier that the Packers aren't going to have to rely on a lot of rookies. They have a lot of veterans, more guys with experience. The home field advantage for the Vikings is basically nothing this week. Um, Packers are coming off a 13-3 and season. They've kind of become this trendy pick among national media to be a team that regresses this season, but they still have Aaron Rodgers. They still have a, a solid offensive line. They have some superstars on defense. I'm going to take the Packers to win straight up 27-21. Okay. All right. So you have the Packers not only cover or not only covering the two and a half point spread, but winning outright. Okay. Interesting. All right. Let's stay in the NFC North. The Bears are going to Detroit to play the Lions, and the Lions are three point favorites. I'll let you go first. Who do you got in this one? Uh, I'll, I'll just say Mitch Trubisky. So I'll, I'll take the Lions to cover. Yeah. I 
I think that this line is perfect. So I would probably take the Bears plus three just because I don't I, – there's not a, a big scenario where I think that Detroit like comes out and, and wins by a touchdown or ten. I think that, that that line is perfect, and I would probably lean the Bears plus three, but I do think that Detroit probably wins that game. But I will say this. Trubisky has beaten the Lions. So he has their number. He's beaten them, I think, four straight times. So that's a little weird for me. That I, I, Trubisky only plays good against one team, and it's the Lions. I disagree with that. I think he, because <laughs> it seems like every time the the Vikings have to go play the Bears, and the Bears have some rando quarterback just thrown in there, whether it's Trubisky or who was the guy that they plugged in a couple years ago and made the Vikings just look silly. Um, Tr- Trubisky just seems to have a way against both the Lions and the Vikings. Uh, Bears quarterbacks in general just seem to have a way, especially in Chicago. Does Rex- you're, you're right. I think Detroit wins this game. Um, if, if they're going to be the improved team that they say they're going to be and this is their chance to show it right away. You missed yesterday. I absolutely went off on the Lions for signing Adrian Peterson. I thought that that was one of the dumbest things that they could have done. They have this awesome weapon set up with Galladay and Marvin Jones, and DeAndre Swift is great, and TJ Hawkinson is good out of Iowa. I was like, why would you add old, broken-down Peterson to take away reps and take away and become a running team when you have this set up to be such an aerial attack that could be so much fun? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the advantage is there either, uh, aside from just having a guy who's been around the game forever. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get the signing either. But, um, you know, Vikings fans will probably, uh, will probably love it. I don't know if you, if you watched Twitter when, when Washington let Peterson go, but uh, there were plenty of Vikings fans who wanted to bring him back. I, I, I'm glad they didn't. He's not better than any of the running backs the Vikings have on their roster right now. Uh, yeah, it'll be, you know, we'll have to watch how Detroit uses them. Yeah. Um, is he a decoy? Is he a guy that, you know, is just going to be there to, to spell their other guys once in a while? We'll yeah. see how it works out. But Yeah, and betting against Adrian Peterson is probably not the best idea always. All right, a couple other 12 o'clock games that we can get to. Baltimore is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite against the Browns. I'll take this one first. The Browns have been so incompetent the last few years but I think they made some really smart moves this last year. I thought hiring Stefanski was really good. He always gets the best out of his teams. We saw it here in Minnesota. I thought that the way that they attacked the draft was really smart, adding and, and, and improving that offensive line. They extended Kareem Hunt. They have Nick Chubb. They have the obvious standout wide receivers in Odell and Jarvis Landry. They added Austin Hooper. And this line just seems kind of big. So I think the, the Ravens are great. They have a chance to be special this year. Lamar, I think, is going to take another step forward. But they had a lot go right for them last year. Cleveland had a lot go wrong. I think it may be... I think maybe the the Ravens regress to the mean a little bit, and the and the Browns maybe regress back up ahead a little bit and, and played more towards their talent. So I think the Ravens win, but I think the Browns cover seven and a half. Yeah, I agree with you on this one. Um, I think Baltimore is still the team to beat in that division, obviously. Um, but at the same time, you're right. Uh, I, I remember thinking back to the draft. Uh, the Browns were right at the top of all of our lists when we sat here on draft night and, and watched the, the picks come down, not only the first day, but the, the second and third day as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Baltimore wins, but Cleveland covers. Okay. All right. Colts are eight-point favorites over the Jaguars. Jaguars might be the worst team in the entire league. I, they got rid of Fournette. They got rid of Ngakwe. 
I like Minshew. I like some of the crazy things they do. I like some of their pieces offensively with DJ Chark. It's a pretty good, fun little wide receiver that they have. But I like the Colts to cover eight. I think the Colts are set up to be really good. I, I don't I don't see the Jags putting up a lot of points against this Colt defense. And I think Phillip Rivers is solid. And they, they, have set, they have two outstanding running backs in Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor. And I think that the, the Colts really destroy the, the line of scrimmage and dominate the line of scrimmage. And, and they should roll and cover eight. Yeah, you're right. Phillip Rivers is old, but he's finally got an offensive line in front of him that's going to hold up for him. Uh, their defense is, is borderline outstanding. Uh, yeah, eight, eight points always seems like a lot to me on a spread, but not in this case. You're right. The Jaguars might be the worst team. Not might, but they probably are the worst team in the NFL this year. So I'll, I'll take the Colts to, to cover. All right. We are pretty much in lockstep other than for the Packers and the Vikings. Okay. Carolina is plus three against the Raiders. Who do you like? Man, you know, this is a tough one for Vikings fans because you think with your heart and, and Teddy Bridgewater holds a special place for pretty much everybody up here still. Um, Christian McCaffrey back. He's on a big deal. He's got a lot of weapons. I just I, I cannot buy into to John Gruden having success. Uh, it just I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it was watching Hard Knocks last year. Um, I, I felt for a couple of years like the Raiders' talent has maybe been overvalued or overrated. Um, I think there's a Bridgewater bringing him in. There's maybe a little bit of a breath of fresh air in Carolina. So uh, let's see. What did you say the spread was? Carolina plus three. Plus for the three. Yeah. That sounds about right. Carolina's at home, correct? Yeah, I, I like the spread in those games where teams have to, or don't like the spread in the, in the games where those teams have to travel cross country. So I'm going I'm to take the Panthers to, to win and to cover. We are the exact same. I, I'm, I'm high on this Panthers offense. They have, a, they have a chance to be really good. McCaffrey's good. I think Bridgewater is playing with the most talent at wide receiver that he's played with in a while. I mean, DJ Moore is great. Curtis Samuel is, uh, was a star at high, in college at Ohio State. So, And I'm just not high on the Raiders at all. I mean, I think that the Panthers' defense is the youngest, maybe one of the worst in the country or in the, in the league this year. They are not going to be very good. There's going to be a lot of points scored in this game. I like the Panthers plus three. All right. Fun one. Dolphins, they're yeah. plus seven against the New England Patriots at home. I I don't get this one at all. I think the Dolphins are the better team. I think that the Patriots have – I think they take a big step back this year, obviously, but I think the Dolphins are the team that can make a really big rise. I love Brian Flores. I like the Dolphins to win this game straight up, and plus seven seems huge, like way too huge for a defense in, North, in New England that doesn't have six of their starters who opted out and for – a Cam Newton-led offense that we just don't know what it's going to look like. I'm with you. I'll take I'll take the Dolphins to win straight up. Um, there's so many questions there in New England right now with Tom Brady gone. Uh, you know, is New England even a playoff team this year? Um, and and look at that division out there with Miami, with New England, with uh, Buffalo too. You know, who wins that division? Is Buffalo the favorite in that division now? Um, yeah, I just I think we're going to have to see. You know, Tom Brady made. Guys look good who probably had no business looking as good as they did sometimes with him. Um, can Cam Newton do that? Is he still the same Cam Newton that was a superstar a few years back? Um, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of questions that New England has to answer, a lot more than they've had to answer in 15, 20 years. So um, until we see that, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take the Dolphins to, to win straight up. Yeah, agreed. Bills and Jets. Bills are a seven-point underdog or seven-point favorite. You go first. The Bills have a great defense, great roster. They put them around, but I mean, Stephon Diggs has been a good addition, but Josh Allen is still yeah. So Bills minus seven versus the Jets. Take 
This is a nice, nice addition for them if Josh Shallon can actually throw him an accurate pass. And how long until how, how many overthrows is it going to take before Diggs just completely melts down? Um, you know, I think that the Jets were maybe a little bit better last season than a lot of people gave him credit for. Uh, but the Bills were just you know far better than I think most people realized. Uh, their defense is solid. It's it's you know probably among the what top five in the NFL. Um, I think Buffalo. Not only wins this game, but they they cover that six and a half. I don't know. I'm torn. I think that's a good number. I wouldn't bet it in real life at all. But if I had to pick one, I'm probably picking the Bills as well. I think they're just better coached. And this Jets defense, they lost C.J. Mosley, and they also traded away Jamal Adams. Those are huge losses. So I'll take the Bills. I think they. I think they'll they'll control the game clock there too. And I like the addition of Zach Moss, one of the rookies out of Utah. He should do a good job running the football along with Devin Singletary. Okay, uh, there are two more noon games. This one's a clunker. Philadelphia is six-point favorites against the Washington football team. Oh, God. Thankfully, we don't have to watch that one. Um, Yeah, I mean, Washington's roster is just nothing there to get excited about. Um, And then you look at Philadelphia, and they've got a, a quarterback that they gave a gigantic contract to who we don't know if he can stay healthy. And if he does stay healthy, what can he do? Um, that said, I think the Eagles are just, you know, Washington might be right down there with some of the worst teams in the league. Um, probably not as bad as Jacksonville, but I bet they're not too far apart. Um, so I, I will take the Eagles. Uh, gosh, I don't know, six points can be a lot in these games. So I'll, I'll take the Eagles to win, but Washington will cover. Oh, man, you stole my whole thing. I was like, oh, we're going to be opposite here. I thought I'm all on Washington plus six in this one. I think that uh, – I think that Haskins and McLaurin are two really fun youngsters that are coming up for, for Washington that can put up some numbers offensively. But the thing is, is the line of scrimmage is going to be where this game is won or lost. And I think that the Eagles' defense is outstanding. They're, they're going to really dominate Washington's offensive line. But at the other end, the Eagles' offensive line is not very good right now because they have multiple injuries. And Washington just added Chase Young, one of the best defensive prospects, ends prospects. They have Montez Sweat. Ryan Kerrigan is really good, too. So... I like I like Washington to cover in this one, but it's going to be a slugfest. I, this doesn't seem like a high scoring game at all. It's one of the lowest over unders to, team totals in, in on Vegas this week. All right, Seattle and Atlanta. This has potential to be fun. Seattle is a two and a half point favorite. Who do you like? Boy, two two and a half points between teams that can put up a lot of points. Um, yeah, I, I mean. Just with with Seattle's offensive ability, you know, you can. I don't think you can ever count Russell Wilson out of a game. Um, what's the the total? I'm seeing forty eight and a half. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah. But it's again, it's one of those where you're talking about a team having to go across the country to play a noon game. Matt Ryan has, for all of his faults and for as bad as Atlanta has been at times during his career, he has a pretty good record at home. In fact, I think he he has almost twice as many wins as losses um, in home games. Falcons added Todd Gurley, um, and like you said, they added Jamal Adams too. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go against my gut here, and I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take the Falcons in the points. Yeah, I think that's probably the smart call. I'm on the other end of this though. I, it just comes down to I, I just trust Russell Wilson so much. He's one of the best quarterbacks in football. I think the Falcons are frisky and fun, and have a chance to put up some big numbers. They're healthy on defense again. 
But I, I just like I just like everything about Seattle. I think they could really pound the ball in the running game too with Chris Carson. And then Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are matchup nightmares for this Falcon secondary. So I'll take Seattle to cover, but not with much. <laughs> I, don't, I don't love that one either. All right, a couple other slugfests here. This one starts in the afternoon sec- section. I'll take this one first. It's the Chargers minus three against the Bengals. I... I think that the Chargers defensive line with Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa could dominate the Bengals offensive line. I like Joe Burrow a ton. I like their weapons a lot, but this doesn't seem like a good matchup for them at all. So I'll take the Chargers minus three to beat the Bengals and give Joe Burrow a little bit of our time just because I don't think he's going to have enough time. Bosa is going to give him a lot of trouble. Yeah, a rookie quarterback, even if he is the number one overall quarterback who hasn't taken a snap in a preseason game or a regular season game against a defensive line like that. Um, I, I agree with you. I think the Chargers are just going to give them fits, and uh, you know, I'll take San Diego. Arizona plus seven against the Niners. I like Arizona to cover this one. I think I think they'll. I think they're going to be really good this year. I think they're going to improve. Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins is fun. Get, they were the second best rushing team last year in efficiency, and the Niners have a lot of defensive injuries. So I'll take the the Cardinals plus seven against a Niners team that's going to come off a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover in Week One. Before, before I go into my pick here, I want to throw this out to you. Could Arizona sneak up on the Niners and win that division? Oh, absolutely. I think they absolutely could. There's a lot of worst or first stuff out there. I think that the, the NFC West is going to be so much fun. I, I could see a scenario where all four of those teams, the Rams and the Seahawks and the, the Niners and the Cardinals, one of the four could absolutely win it. But I think the big thing with the Cardinals is their defense. Will they be improved? They drafted the Clemson linebacker at eight overall, which is a, a pretty good pick. Um, but this offense has a chance to be really special. They were one of the worst two years ago. Kingsbury comes with Murray, and they moved up to like 13th overall. I think they make another jump. If they get to 6th or 7th best offense in football, absolutely they could do it. But betting against Kyle Shanahan isn't isn't the most fun because he's one of the best coaches in the NFL too. Yeah, I'm just thinking back to last year when the 49ers were still good and the Card- Cardinals were you know inconsistent at best, but they played their two best games of the year against San Francisco. Give them, you know, They gave them a pretty good run both times they played. Now you had DeAndre Hopkins in the mix, join Larry Fitzgerald, who just doesn't seem to – his skills just don't seem to decline. Um, that's, that's a really fun receiving tandem to watch there. It'll be interesting to see what they can do this season. And, uh, you know, the 49ers are coming off that, that Super Bowl loss. Um, you never know how they're going to bounce back from that. They're obviously a very talented team, and, and you're right. It's tough to, to bet against Kyle Shanahan, but the Cardinals are getting seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take the Cardinals and the points all day. Yep. Game of the week, maybe. Tampa Bay against New Orleans. Breeze versus Brady. It, we get to see the Tampa Bay crew again. We see what they're doing. Mike Evans might be hurt. That's kind of a big thing. But the Saints are minus three and a half at home. Drew Brees is great at home. But are you are you do you trust them over ta- or over Tampa Bay and Tom Brady? Well, we've, how many times have we had this conversation, you and I, this offseason about Tom Brady? I think we're on opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to him. Um, I like him down there. With, and with the job that Tampa did in the draft, too, some of the weapons they've given him uh, on the offensive line, as a, you know, adding receivers, too. Um, it's not to take anything away from Drew Brees. I mean, Lord knows, as a Vikings fan, uh, I've seen all that Drew Brees is capable of doing. You, know, you have Michael Thomas there, who's as tough a matchup as it gets in the NFL. Um, same with Alvin Kamara. You add Emmanuel Sanders into the mix. Um, you know, Brady didn't have a lot of reliable receivers to throw to last year. 
you know, he comes in now. He has Mike Evans. He has Chris Godwin. Um, O.J. Howard. O.J. Rob, Howard. Rob Gronkowski. Yeah. Gronk. They, they have a little bit of a connection, those two guys. Gosh, this, this is a tough one for me because I've seen the Saints just, you know, absolutely tear teams up for years and years and years. Um, and, and you know that I like Tampa and I like the Buccaneers as they exist now with Brady. But, uh, boy, three and a half. I'm going to have to go with the Saints. I, I think the Saints win this thing straight up. Oh, what are you doing? This is now we're on opposites again. So uh, <laughs> I am not a big Tampa. I, I, I just think that I think it's fluky. I think it's odd. Maybe Tom Brady was organizing some of these secret practices behind the scenes for summer for the months because he doesn't care about COVID because he's in such good shape and will never die. Um, so maybe that's happening. But three and a half is a huge number here. And, and if I get a field goal and Tom Brady with these weapons, I know I'm not a huge fan of him, but I also like this Bucks defense a lot. And this Saints team looks a little – just they're just – I don't know. There's something off about them this year. I, I don't know if I trust them to be as dominant as ever. They've invested a ton of money into Taysom Hill and then bringing in Jameis. Maybe they know something we don't know about Drew Brees. So I, I'll take Tampa and the points at home. If you give me a field goal, three and a half points, I'll take Tampa and Tom Brady. And that's so weird for me to say as an anti-Tom Brady guy all offseason. That's weird. That's weird for me to hear. I guess you're, you're finally coming around to the right side of things. <laughs> all right, we got three more games here: Dallas and the Rams on Sunday Night Football. Dallas is minus three. I'm taking the Rams and the points. I like this team a lot. I think they're going to improve a lot. I think Aaron Donald's a problem, um, and I think that everything went wrong for them last year, and they still managed to be nine and seven. And Dallas is really good. They have a lot of nice weapons, and they're great defensively. But I, I just think if you're giving me a field goal to the home team on the road, I, or, or uh, Dallas has to go on the road, I'll take the Rams on a field goal, plus three. Yeah, so no Todd Gurley, no Brandon Cooks. Um, you mentioned that they went 9-7. and seven with the, did, did a lot go wrong, or did they just regress? Um, is Sean McVay not what maybe we thought he was in their Super Bowl year? Very fair. Um, as as much as I dislike Mike McCarthy when he was in Green Bay, he did a lot of good things with the Packers, and I have no doubts that he can do the same with Dak and with Zeke Elliott. Um, you know, yeah, you mentioned the three points. That can be a lot of points in a matchup like this, where a lot of points will probably be scored. Um, but I just I like Dallas's loaded offense, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take them even at minus three. Take the Cowboys. I think the over would probably be the right play in that one, just because I think that we're going to see a lot of t- a touchdowns. All right, two more games. They're both on Monday Night Football. The Steelers minus six against the Giants. I don't know, man. The Steelers are good this year. They have some been Big Ben is back, but the Giants also have some talent on that offense. Big questions on defense, but who are you going with here? Steelers minus six. Uh, yeah, boy. Um, you know, Roethlisberger's back. At, at what level is he back? Um, and, and I just – are they going to be to Super Bowl level? They play in a tough division. I know that doesn't make a, a bit of difference for their game Sunday night against the Giants. Um, it, I feel like we need to feel the Steelers out a little bit here at the start of the year just to see exactly what they are. Um, you know, they're starting off against a team that, that has a new coaching staff and, and uh, has a lot to prove. Um, what are you looking for? I'm going to take the Giants. I'll take the Giants and the points. I'm taking the Steelers minus six. 
Um, I think you make a really good point. The thing is, is that I keep going back to is I don't I don't trust this Giants offensive line against the Steelers defense that T.J. Watt's a stud. Cam Hayward's a stud. They're, they they have some really good chance to be special defensively. And I like Daniel Jones a lot as a, maybe a points getter late, but I don't know if I trust him against a, a really good Steelers defense. So I, and I'm, a, I'm in on the Steelers this year. I think there's a, there's a scenario, there's a world where the Steelers beat the Ravens for the division. All right, last but not least, the Titans, minus two and a half against the Broncos. Who do you like and why? Uh, you know, I, I really liked Denver up until uh, the news that on Miller could potentially be out for the season. Um, I like Drew Locke. I think maybe they finally have something there in a quarterback after all the different guys they've tried. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, I really like the Titans on both sides of the ball too. Just the the way they can pound the ball and control the clock. And uh, you know, one minus one and a half at Denver. Um, boy. It's a tough one. I probably should have figured this out beforehand, huh? Uh, I'll, I'll take Denver in the home field advantage here in this one. Okay, good. We have some opposites. I'm going Titans here, minus two and a half, just because I think they're the better team. And I remember, I mean, this is a team that was really close to going to the Super Bowl last year. And I think uh, I think Derrick Henry is just an absolute monster. He's like a – he just is just like a, ma- a man-child, 24-7. He just, he just can't tackle him. So, also, I have still some questions about Drew Locke and – is he really that good? Are we really sure that all of these weapons are going to be good? But maybe I'm wrong because Jerry Judy's a stud. And the injury to Cortland Sutton is also a big one. He was great for them last year, the big-time wide receiver. And if he can't play with that hamstring, that could be a it could be a pretty big blow for the Broncos' offense. All right, that was fun. I'm going to write all of these down. And it's just good to have this back and some normalcy back. And Sunday's going to be great. I cannot wait for the Vikings game. I can't wait just to sit down and watch some football all day. And I know that... We're just going to create a lot of content, and on Monday we'll have another pod breaking down everything that happened on Sunday and have some fun stuff planned for you in the future. So this was really fun, Jason. Thanks for hopping on. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, looking forward to just, like you said, having some football back here and uh, seeing what it's like in, in these odd atmospheres with no fans in the stadium. It'll be different, but it'll be great to have football nonetheless. Thanks so much for listening to the Post Bulletin Sports Podcast. We'll catch you next time.